So here we go. Hello and welcome to another episode of your Manchester United fix. And even though it's been the international break and we've only got really one game to focus on, what a game it was, especially from the neutral point of view. Some great goals flying into that game. But from a United point of view, maybe not the best. A lot of talking points, but I just want to begin with the positives and Mason Greenwood's first goal because he's had a fantastic start to the season. His fourth goal already. And what a goal it was. It was typical fashion, wasn't it, Ben? I mean, Greenwood cutting in from the right, taking it into the middle onto his wonderful left foot and absolutely smashing it past Casper Schmeichel to start what what ended a bad day off brilliantly. Um, and it was a it was one of the cleanest strikes, I think, of, of the season, really. Because uh, it, it's not even like it was directly put into the top left corner. It, it moves away from... Schmeichel, the swerve he manages to get on that ball was was ridiculous. To be fair, and you know Greenwood showing time and time again that he he's not gonna he's not gonna sit down and and let these big name stars take his place in the starting eleven. Well, that's exactly what you want from such a young such a young player like that. And obviously, that's ten goals in sixteen appearances for him now. And you're right, the way he strikes the ball, he cuts across it. It's going away from Schmeichel, who's a, a, a fantastic keeper, and you would expect him to pull out some of the fantastic saves. But yeah, he stood no chance with that. Obviously, the other end of the pitch, Tielemans, he got another fantastic goal. I wanted to ask, what did you make of that? Did he mean it? Or was that just a cross into the back first area and it's ended up finding its way into the back of the net? It's a cross every day of the week. Um, because, And I've actually had this argument. I've got quite a few Leicester friends from, you know, being at the University of Derby and, you know, my time there. Um, and I was speaking to them and obviously they were like, oh, no, you already meant it. You already meant it. But I had a look on Match of the Day before I, before I made a judgment call. And if you actually look, I think it's James Madison take sprinting into the back at the far post and before as the ball is rolling to Tillemans he has a quick look over his shoulder so he knows Madison's making that run to the back post I think he just scuffs a little bit of a clipped shot uh, across and you know when it happens like that no one means to do that shot I don't think ever, ever like anyone means to do that unless you're Eric Cantona of course and then then I'd have a different opinion but Nah, it's across every day of the week. See, this is where opinion is divided because I was at Old Trafford in the studio of MUTV and Gary Pallister and Wes Brown, obviously both ex-professional players, both said that he meant that. He's going for that and he's found it. No Whereas chance, everybody else, the commentators, the presenters, everyone in the background said he didn't mean it. And I think that's a very interesting way to look at the game, obviously coming from different sides of it as well. Anyway... Probably, the well, obviously the Tielemans goal, not a positive. Greenwood one is. Let's get down to the nitty gritty then and look at the performance. Obviously, neither of us were actually at the stadium and we were watching it on our screens, but it just, it seems so flat. And obviously, you don't, you don't want to pinpoint these problems on certain things. I think Gary Neville analysed it well last night when he said you got six cracks in the window. You can't exactly focus on one because they're all playing the same part in it all going wrong. But, I just want to start with you and ask the way we set up against Leicester was a very attacking team and we saw them switch to five at the back and they adapted to the way that we set up. Was that the way to set up in such an important game in this run of fixtures we've got? Was that the correct decision in setting up almost with five defenders and five attackers? I think it was one of those setups from Solskjaer where he thought, right, I need a win here. 
I can't lose. I've got a terrible run of fixtures to come. Really, really daunting list of fixtures on my, on the way. Let's get out on the front front foot. Let's get a win. And I'll play my best attacking footballers. I'll play them up top. We're going to absolutely annihilate Leicester City here. And it couldn't have gone any worse for Solskjaer. That plan worked for about half an hour before Greenwood, you know, with Greenwood's goal. And United were on the front foot quite a bit in the first but half I just want hour. to interrupt you. For the, fir- for the first 10 minutes, I think United were terrible. Yeah. It was Greenwood's goal it switched, that got them fired it? up. Yeah. And that's where the momentum came from. But at the yeah. beginning of the game, they were they were terrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It didn't, didn't work first 10 minutes. But from Greenwood's goal, it looked like they were going to get more. And, and, you know, it started to create something. But then, obviously, Tielemans' goal kind of killed that that whole momentum. And you you asked you asked about the attacking front. Was it right to start that many attackers? You know, he still still ended up having Pope and Matic, which is still the holding two that he's used a lot of the time. So it wasn't wasn't too dissimilar to what he's used in the past. Um, but the big big one, and we'll talk about it, is Maguire. Um, how he started, I'll never know, and how he didn't come off at halftime, I'll never know. But that's a great point. And obviously, if you look at some of the goals, the first goal that came, or the second goal that came from the free kick that was in the United half, almost in the United penalty box, to concede from that is is out, is, is so abysmal because that should never be happening. And when we watched it back, we saw Pogba whip it across the Lindelof, which I think is good. That gets the play going and he wants to push him up the pitch. You see him point back to De Gea, play it there. That's on De Gea then to do what he wants with the ball. And I don't think his ball into Maguire was too bad, but Maguire hesitates and he holds off. And Ian Atcher's on him. He knows exactly where that ball is going. And if he can get a head start, he'll get there quick enough. Maguire panicked and he just wasn't, he wasn't on his game that day. And I, I'd say he shouldn't have started that game because you have other options and it didn't need to happen. I can understand why he'd want his captain there, but I think bringing him off at halftime, once you've started, you've got to commit to keeping him on. He's your captain. He's, your, he's probably the best defender in the squad at that time. Obviously, Varane is injured, but in that squad, he'd Solskjaer probably thinking he's going to hold the squad together. He's that commanding voice, but he just didn't seem to be on his game, which obviously against his former club, you would have expected him to want that more than anything. And you now look at the past two Premier League games and Solskjaer couldn't have got it any more tactically wrong in either of them. You know, not starting Sancho, Pogba, Ronaldo against Everton before an international break is questionable in itself. But to then go and start an unfit Harry Maguire against his old club where you know he's going to get stick and dogs abuse 24-7 from the fans and the home fans, which isn't going to be the best when you know you're not at it. When you know you're not at it, and the Leicester fans can smell that and sniff that you're not at it, that's just going to egg them on more to just, you know, rattle you, rattle your game. And ultimately it showed, and it showed time and time again. I think it, the most telling part to the Maguire story this on this weekend was the first 10 minutes, I think it was, um, Ian Acho wins the ball off of Pogba at the halfway line and arguably Pogba should have done better. He, he should have done better. But the way that Ian Acho breezed past Maguire like he was a ghost, that Maguire wasn't even there. He wasn't there mentally. He wasn't there physically. Ian Acho just knocked the ball five yards past him, 
Maguire then has to turn like a truck in a tiny little alleyway and it just didn't work. And that was the most telling thing. But the biggest mistake for Solskjaer, which again showed his, his lack of, um, you know, his lack of knowing what to do when things are going wrong was he should have brought him off at halftime. There is no, there is no doubt he should have brought him off at halftime. And that's not even like a dig at Solskjaer for not knowing. I think he was so clear so clear that Maguire wasn't up to it. And he did it. He actually did it at PSG. And, and that night in Paris, I think it was, he subbed off Eric Bailly after 29 minutes, 31 minutes or something like that. And it wasn't injury related. It wasn't working. It wasn't working. So he switched by. And, you know, that's what needed to happen on Saturday against Leicester. He, he, re- he surely he recognised that Maguire wasn't up to it. He was getting beaten every two or three minutes. Yet he kept him on. And I know it's your captain, and I know it's he's been so reliable for Manchester United over the past two seasons now. But when someone's got that sort of injury, and let's be real, not even been playing that well when he's been fit this season, you've got to sub him off. And I can't believe he didn't do it. I disagree with the facts of subbing him off. I think that Solskjaer should have made the decision long before the game. He's had the international break to think about this. He's obviously seen Maguire in training, and he probably thought, and Maguire, I'm sure, will have been putting his name out saying I'm fine to play. But as a manager, you've got to make that decision. And obviously, we'll talk more about all his decision making as the podcast goes on and things that he's doing right and doing wrong. But in terms of Maguire, I do not think he should have started that game at all. And once the game kicks off, it is on the manager. This is where that 50-50 balance comes in, that some managers will stand there and they'll make that decision and they'll take him off the pitch. And they'll, if it doesn't work out, they'll take that. And they'll take that on the chin and say, yeah, I've, that's fine. I made that decision. That's my fault. Whereas Solskjaer seems more of the manager that he would have asked Harry Maguire. He, he would have gone up to him at halftime and said, Harry, how are you feeling? How do you think it's going? And obviously, as the captain of the club, you're not going to turn around and say, oh, I'm not feeling it, boss. But that's you where Solskjaer needs to be strong. That's where Solskjaer needs to be strong. Precisely. To tell Maguire, no, exactly. you're not at it. Get off. You're halftime. You're costing to... us here. Get off. Exactly. But this is where, if you contrast it to Chelsea, you see two shell. Obviously, they were playing Brentford, who, to be fair, are an exceptional side and a fantastic chance having the Premier League out the way they're playing at the moment. Obviously, a bit different to Leicester. But Tuchel played Saar and Chalobah. Obviously, James took a knock and Rudiger's out injured. So he put these two youngsters in there and trusted them. And they did the job. They kept that clean sheet. Obviously, Mendy, fantastic for them. But they kept that clean sheet. Whereas you look at United, you've got Baye, you've got players on the bench or in the squad who you could have brought in and given this opportunity, a fresh player who's going to be in there to prove their point. Whereas Maguire, maybe not fully fit, maybe not ready to be in there. And I just think that, again, it's a wrong decision that was being made. And if it comes off and if it works, then you'll get applauded. This is the thing of being a manager. If it comes off, you'll be applauded. And if it doesn't, you'll be criticised. But at the end of the day, I do think it was the wrong decision. But like I said, once he starts, he starts and he's in the, he's in the team and it's difficult to take him back out of that point unless you're strong-willed and you make them decisions. And that's what you need to be as a Manchester United manager. You need to be strong-willed and you need to make those decisions. And you mentioned it with Tuchel and trusting his youth players. I mean, those youth players have been integrated slowly and they've played quite a few games this season already. 
um, because Tuchel likes to likes to switch his back five, doesn't he? he? Likes to chop and change. But with Solskjaer on Saturday, the only other option really was starting a Lindelof and Bailly combination. And in that combination, I don't think I think they're winless in their last six starts together. So that you know the 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 history didn't really favour Solskjaer for selecting them. But when you've got no other choice, it, I, I think most I think most people in the right frame of mind would say, okay, well. I've got an unfit player or I've got two fit professional athletes who have played together in the past and know how to play Premier League football. Maybe I should start them. That's one thing with these players that they're not just there for a day out. They are there to play football. They're professional athletes. But one thing I was looking forward to seeing, and I'm sure a few people will have been, is the Bayvardi battle. And seeing them in previous games when they're kicking each other, they're pulling each other. And someone who's going to get up to him and rough and ready him, not just stand there and wait for it to tackle. Spy doesn't mess around. He's going to be in there. He's going to be kicking. And that's one difference that I think would have made to the game. It would have added a bit of fire to it, which was something that was missing because arguably you could say that Harry was at fault for two of the goals. Obviously, the free kick. And then the corner goal where he was just caught ball watching at times. I, I saw a clip and I'm pretty sure for the seven seconds of the clip, he didn't move. He was just watching the ball, didn't see the run come from behind him. The ball took a deflection, took it away from him and he wasn't quick enough to get it, to get it out of there, which from your most experienced top defender on the pitch, you, you'd probably hope for a little bit more. But anyway, let's let's move away from that point and have a look at, one of the other positives of the game, which of course Marcus Rashford returned, which was fantastic to see. And he capped it with a, a fantastic goal as well, which at the time you probably thought, here we go, Manchester United, we're going to turn it round. 3-2, take the points. Didn't quite work out like that though. Didn't at all. 54 seconds later from Marcus Rashford's ball being put into the net. Jose Perez runs down the left wing and puts in a cross for Jamie Vardy to slice his strike into the top right corner. And it is a strike. That is a slice. That's another argument I've had with plenty of people. He's like, oh yeah, he meant to do that. No, pl- no player means to slice the ball that much. Like it's just not. That's he just he not definitely true. meant that. He definitely no, he didn't. meant that. These are world-class footballers. He meant that no all chance. day long. No chance you meant to put that much spin and slice on a ball. He's trying to hammer that in the top left corner of the goal he's not trying to put that in the top right corner he's not even looking at the top top right the corner he's, no chance. he's, he's sliced that so much I'm not having that um but yeah anyway back to the point 54 seconds later Leicester are back on top you've got the king power rocking you're not turning that around with seven minutes to go you've deflated the whole team um and it was telling wasn't it you know Ronaldo's head was straight down straight down into his socks into his boots and many, many other players were the same. There was no reaction. There was no, no lifting spirits. You know, Maguire might have done a few fist pumps and, uh, you know, trying to get some players going, but reality was they were beaten before, before the final whistle. They were, they were, they were already beaten as soon as that Vardy goal went in. Um, But, you know, Marcus Rashford's back and he's back from, from what is quite two significant injuries really that he's been playing with throughout the last year or so. And he looks bigger, doesn't he? He's put on, I think I read he's put on four kilograms to his lower, lower, was it lower body or upper body? I'm not too sure. It might have been upper body, uh, but that's starting to show as well, which is great. Uh, and his last fully fit season, I believe he scored 23 goals and 16 assists. So maybe if that's something to go off, we're, we're, up, we're in for a good Marcus Rashford. Well, that bulking up certainly not affected his pace at all. And it was so nice to finally see 
one of the attackers make the run on the shoulder of the defender. And obviously a ball came from the defence and that's how easy it was. What a ball Just to break it down. It was a great ball, but that's what Marcus Rashford brings. And that's what you would have thought Ronaldo brings. Obviously, Sancho is a bit of a different player. He doesn't have the pace that Rashford does. But just being on the shoulder of a defender and one minute you're, you're faking to go one way and you're cutting that run. And before the defender knows it, you're in behind. And that's the danger of what you want from these players. Greenwood, I think he brings that to the team as well. Obviously, a lot better at doing other things, cutting in on his left foot. But we waited for 80 plus minutes to see this. And I think you made a very interesting point about Ronaldo and, the, and players flailing their arms in the air and, and things like that. Because and that, that's, really, that's something that really annoyed me. That has to stop. Bruno and Ronaldo were doing it from half an hour into the game. And this has to stop because that doesn't do any favours for anyone on that pitch. And I think it was very, going back to the goal that they, they scored straight after Marcus Rashford, that is a rookie error because you're most vulnerable to conceding just after you've scored because your head's not focused in it. And when you watch that clip back of when they scored after the kickoff, you had, it was back to that five and five. Pogba and everyone above him were sort of just let the play pass them it's fine, the defence will deal with it and we'll go on and we could get this third goal. Didn't work like that. You see Pogba and one of the players runs right past him and if he'd have followed that player, he would have been in the box and he could, he could have picked up Vardy because when Vardy strikes that ball, he's less than a metre in front of Pogba. And this is a determination. If Pogba's going to play in that holding midfield role, he needs to burst back and I'm sure if you... Fred, Fred gets a lot of criticism he would have been there and he would have been in that box to intercept that pass. I can tell you that for a fact. Whereas Pogba's head is on the attacking side of football. He's thinking when the ball switches possession, we'll, bow, we'll go and which pass am I going to pick? And when that doesn't happen, that's when you're in trouble. But if that's why I'm saying that you need two players in midfield. You can't win football matches with five defenders and five attackers anymore because the game is way too advanced now. The tactics behind playing different teams is incredible and it's not as simple as sending these players out and saying you're a good team go and play your football enjoy playing your football it's not it's not the same anymore and I just don't think that the balance is there and when it should be yeah I mean I like your point about Fred I think I do think he might have been able to help um, but again it's another goal on Maguire's behalf. You know, Maguire is actually right next to Jamie Vardy for that goal. And then he kind of just lets him drift away from him in a way. You know, Maguire's running back to back to his goal with, with, with his with his back facing the goal. You know, he's running backwards. Um, and Vardy's running forwards with him. Maguire's looking at him. And then as soon as the ball goes wide, Maguire kind of just lets Vardy drift out to the end, edge of the box. And that's why he's free, ultimately, to, to put it in. Yeah, exactly that. And Lindelof is stood next to him. And they and, uh, both sort no, of made no the same movement. Yeah, it's, it was poor. But I want to move just a bit further on now and ask you a, a question that I guess is starting to play in a lot of people's mind. And I've been thinking about this for the past few weeks now is the Edinson Cavani and Cristiano Ronaldo debate because I thought this when I saw Cavani come on against Villarreal and how hard he worked for that game. So going back to when Cavani first signed, it was a bit hit and miss whether or not he wanted to join United. And when it all went through and that position was there for him and he knew he'd make an impact on this club, he decided to join. Whereas now, with Ronaldo in the squad, would 
have Cavani signed if he was still here? I don't think he would have because he, mm. that impact isn't there. He doesn't want to be sat on the bench at his age. But here we go, is that having Ronaldo in the team and chatting to people at work, such as Wes, he said when Ronaldo was younger, he didn't press then. He said, you could play him out wide, you know the danger he is, you know the talent he is, but he wouldn't press. He said, if, you, if you're going to put him in the team, you've got to adapt it and your other players have got to work harder to counterbalance that. He said, now he's 36. That's not going to change. If anything more so, he's going to be less likely to put the press in things like this. The Premier League, where it is now in 2021, you've got to press from the front. You've got to put that pressure on, starting with your attackers, starting with your quick player, put them under pressure and make them lose the ball high up the pitch. United got dominated on the weekend, playing that shape. It was almost 4-4-2 when they were defending. And they just, Leicester played it around at will. They were moving into United's half, not losing the ball, no pressure under them. So what I want to ask you is that, does Edinson Cavani offer more for the team in terms of playing 11 versus 11 than Cristiano Ronaldo, who is obviously arguably one of the best players in the world, if not the best? And you wouldn't really want to put him in this debate, but Edinson Cavani or Cristiano Ronaldo? Yeah, I mean... You know, I'm not going to answer Cristiano Ronaldo or Edinson Cavani. You asked, you asked if Cavani offers more when he's on the pitch. When he does come on the pitch, Cavani offers more, but he can't do it game in, game out, which is the biggest issue. You know, Cavani we saw last year would pick up injuries and he'd play 30 minutes, and you know, then you'd start to see him slow down in the second half. He'd come on as a substitute and he was excellent. But when he plays 90 minutes, he's a lot less effective. So I think that's, I think it's great to have both. I think you need both. I don't think you could have one or the other because if Ronaldo's not having a good game, you bring on Cavani. And maybe that would have been different had Cavani not been playing 12 hours before or something like that in the Brazil versus Uruguay game. Um, so you know, United were like, you know, we're, we're analysing and analysing and analysing, but United had so many players missing on Saturday when you come to think about it. You know, you did have Fred missing, you had Cavani missing, you had Varane missing, and you did have Maguire missing. I know he played. Martial. He, he was missing. Well. Martial picked up a knock as well. So, you know, you did have a lot of players missing. It's not an excuse because that squad still should be winning. But the Cavani and Ronaldo debate, I think it's great to have both of them. I think you need both of them. And I do think at this current time, Cavani offers Manchester United more off the bench. I don't think he could do it for 90 minutes. Yeah, it's a good point. And I wasn't exactly saying about this game on Saturday. I just meant it in terms of the pressing because it sort of goes from one side of the pendulum to the other. Whereas when Cavani does come on, and I think you are right, he's he's probably one of the best impact subs there is in the game at the moment. But it just seems that his energy and his fitness levels is they're at similar ages, and the way that he sees the game in terms of having to work hard for his goals, in comparison to Ronaldo, who obviously knows the game. And he's fantastically experienced. He knows where to be, where to hit the ball, how to hit the ball. And it's just two different things where I think that Cavani, for the team, if he had that opportunity to maybe start one or two games, if things, the intensity levels would certainly be a lot higher. And I think that's something that Manchester United need because like you said about Bruno and Ronaldo putting their arms up in the air, that's not what you want to be seeing 30 minutes into a football match. 
No, and you certainly don't want to see Ronaldo try and storm straight down the tunnel at the end of the game without clapping the fans. That was what was being reported as well from the stadium, wasn't it? And Solskjaer had to, had to stop him from going there and he walked about 10 yards back towards the fans, nowhere near, clapped and then walked off. It's a terrible attitude. Yeah, it is. But then again, you like to see when, you, when your team loses, yeah, when your team you plays shocking, it is. Yeah, but there is a balance there that, that needs to be found. But anyway... Tomorrow night, Atalanta in the Champions League at Old Trafford. Before we talk about who you'd maybe start in that team in the midfield positions, this is a huge game for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and Manchester United. Obviously, we play Atalanta next in the Champions League, but that's at their spot. So how important is it to get three points in this game in terms of our Champions League run? Well, three points here at a minimum puts you two points ahead of the next it's ahead of second it would move Manchester United to first uh, providing young boys don't beat Villarreal uh, away which I, I wouldn't think would happen oh they're home young boys are playing Villarreal at home who knows young boys have already sh- stunned Manchester United but that was the sort of performance where it's their first game back with fans in the Champions League for two years you're playing Manchester United Manchester United have come to town you're going to put on your best performance that's what that came down to in the end uh, and United not being very good and Wan-Bissaka getting sent, sent off um, but Wan-Bissaka um, has had the two-match ban um, brought down to one which you know is baffling that they put it up to two anyway I thought that was really really strange decision um but how important is it in terms of the group stage you know united with a win tomorrow would go up to six points uh Villarreal currently sat on one so it's going to be they're going to have to really turn it turn, turn it around for them to, to attempt for them to get qualification um but but the atalanta shouldn't shouldn't be shouldn't be um you know disregarded they've lost one game from the last seven in all competitions they beat empoli away 4-1 on the weekend and um you know the thing XG expected goals. I'm starting to get into that at the minute. They they had the they had the third most expected goals in Europe's top five leagues on the weekend against Empoli. So that basically very interesting. Basically, they scored the goals they were expected to score and probably could have had more. To put it simple, um, and their away form looks very good too. So it won't be a breeze. So I just want to rephrase my question and not how big of three points would this be in terms of the Champions League? I want to rephrase it to how big a win would tomorrow night be looking ahead to Liverpool on Sunday? I mean, it would set up the week. It would set up the week on a positive note because right now it couldn't be much lower. Um, And Good luck to United and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer on Sunday if they are to lose tomorrow night. Good luck to them because that will be one of the most hostile atmospheres building up to a game from your own set of fans and the away fans. You know, Liverpool, if you if Manchester United don't win tomorrow, Liverpool fans will be smelling blood like sharks in the Pacific Ocean. Like They will be ready. They will be ready for you. And uh, it sounds so bad and I don't really have any hope. And I feel like if United are to lose tomorrow night, Sunday will be even uglier, will be even uglier. So in terms of getting a win, and I said Leicester game, it was the start of a daunting run of fixtures. And, you know, you're in a, you're an Olympic sprinter, okay? You, you, you got to get off, get off the mark quickly, haven't you? In a, in a tough, tough time. You've got to get off the mark quickly. 
Solskjaer needed anything but a loss on the weekend. Didn't get that. So he's already on the back foot. Tomorrow, Atalanta is the same thing. Anything but a loss now. Anything but a loss at home. You know, a draw still won't be good, but a loss at home would be would be god-awful. And then on Sunday, Liverpool, anything could happen. And I think, I personally do think, if United are on the receiving end of a of a damaging result, then it could be time for things to change. You see, this is the thing. When you spoke of a hostile atmosphere before the Liverpool game, or there could be one before the Liverpool game, it's interesting with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer because usually when a manager's doing a bad job at a club, fans turn on the manager as the manager and as him as a person. Like you saw it with Mourinho. They didn't like the way he was going about his job and his tactics and the results, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas the situation United fans are in at the moment is that you cannot hate this man. You cannot hate Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. One, he's such a nice person. Two, he's a club legend. And where people are criticising him is obviously as his role as manager and the decision-making and the tactics he's, he's going about his business. And this is the thing where it's, it's a difficult divide that Manchester United will want to give him time and they'll want to have him for the future, forever. They would, they're not a club that likes sacking managers. They've, they've been through this before. They want to give him time. But in terms of the fans, I've seen a lot of different opinions where they all agree that Solskjaer is not the man for the job, but they still love him and they still want him to succeed at the club. And there's this fine balance between loving him and hating him. And I think this is where it will work in his favour because when Liverpool comes to town on Sunday, huge rivalry, every single United fan in that stadium, I think, will back their team. And they'll back Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, whether or not they're too sure about the results, whether or not they think they will get the three points. They should back him. They should sing his name because that's a huge game. And once that tide turns and people start disliking Ole Gunnar Solskjaer as a person, as a Manchester United legend, that's where I think decisions will get made. And what point that will happen is obviously the question looking at the run of fixtures and maybe even if it doesn't go too well and you go beyond this point, there's obviously these talks in January of, of potential players coming in and giving him till the end of the season, which I for one think should happen. I don't think he's the type of person that will get sat mid-season and I don't think the fans will be calling for his head hopefully anytime soon yeah um, you look at that if it's any other manager in charge you look at those fixtures and in the runner form that United are in at the minute you look at those fixtures and you think to yourself it's a matter of when it's a matter of time it's a matter of when he gets sacked and it just won't happen with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer I don't believe it will if I, the other question is do I do I think it should maybe Maybe throughout those fixtures, but it won't happen. Not not with not with this this type of manager that's done so much for your club. He's not only won you a Champions League. He's brought stability back to a club that was in free fall under Jose Mourinho. It was under it, that club was going nowhere. That club that team was going nowhere. It wasn't it wasn't a team. It was a it was a team filled with individuals that didn't really get on. Pogba and Mourinho, two massive egos in the change room. They were starting to hate each other. Ibrahimovic was maybe, you know, too big of a dressing room uh, character for the likes of Anthony Martial, and that stalled his progress, and we're still seeing the, the effects of that today. 
um, that, you know, there was so much more wrong in that side for to get Jose Mourinho sacked than there is in Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's side. You know, as of yet, with this this dressing room hasn't been lost. They still have their respect. And I think, I, I think no matter who the manager is, if the dressing room goes, the dressing room goes, the manager follows. If they don't believe in a manager anymore, you can't wait until January. You can't wait until December. You've got... If the dressing room goes over the next month and a half, it has to, it, he has to go. He does have to go because I don't feel like that in any job, any role. If you lose the the trust and the you know people who are at the end of the day wanting to work and play for you, you, you have to go. Um, and and I don't think his comments about Marcus Rashford necessarily helped that in 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 last week. I, I don't think that helped the dressing room at all. You know, the Athletic came out and said yesterday that. Some players behind the scenes were not were not too happy with those comments about Marcus Rashford sticking to football and and prioritizing his football and I think that was that was something and I, and I don't know and and if you actually watch the video as well of, of the press conference, it has been it has been spun by the media to to make him out like that and whether that's right or wrong is up to you to decide. As the listeners, you can decide. You can have your own opinion on that. Um, but at the end of the day, he said something quite controversial, but in the way he said it, I don't think it was too bad. Um, and, and I think it was done in a lighthearted way. And I also think him and Marcus Rashford have built up that rapport over the two years that he can say that without being too, too, you know, necessarily mean or in a harsh way. I don't think he meant it in that way at all, but the way it looks doesn't look great. See, I've I've not seen this video, but I did see it being reported on. And where I saw it was online. And I think it was the sun that put the headline out. So yeah. I was not going to click on that. They'll put a nice, nice headline out, that. won't they? Exactly. But I did see that. But before you tell me about that, I just want to go back to the mood in the dressing room because that was a really, really good point. And that's one thing that I've spoken to people at work about. When I was at Carrington on Friday... The mood at Carrington is is good. I like I told you, I bumped into Solskjaer and he had a smile on his face and everyone there is happy. They're cheery. And with when you have the likes of Moyes and Mourinho were there, it was different. It was sour. No one wanted to be there. No one wanted to work with them. And people just didn't enjoy it. Whereas Solskjaer, everyone enjoys getting out of bed and going to work in the morning because the atmosphere is so fantastic. But Going back to the comments made before you say it, I think is a this is a very interesting concept because a lot of people expect. I had this conversation with Wes Brown on Saturday. A lot of people see managers and they expect them to walk into teams and everybody loves them. Everybody gets on with them. They respect them, and it works just like that. This never, ever, ever happens. Managers come in and could be hated by the whole squad and they could still go out and get results. They could still win league titles. But the thing with Solskjaer is that I think he has developed these personal relationships with players with the likes of Rashford, which is good because you see this happen and it helps the players. So when he makes these comments, he doesn't necessarily, from someone who has no context, they'll see this and think, well, he shouldn't be saying that. He's referring to this, he's referring to that. And out of context, it's not a good comment to make. However... If he was to say that to Rashford one-to-one, Rashford would probably understand and take that as advice that a father would give or a close close friend or family member would give. Whereas taking out context as a manager of Manchester United, 
this is where the headlines get spun. But I want you to tell me a little bit more about the comments yeah, that were made. I think it's something. I think it's something that should be kept behind closed doors. If he is to say that sort of thing to Marcus Rashford, you know the. Does it stick into football or something? Yeah, like so that. he says, I'll read it out. He's done remarkable things at a young age and he's now coming into his best age for a footballer. He's learning, he's getting more and more experience. He's had time to reflect on what he's done off the pitch as well because he's done some fantastic things and now maybe prioritize his football and focus on football. So, you know, he does throw the word in maybe there. He doesn't say he should stick to football like some gammons on Twitter have told him to do. Um, but at the end of the day, he said, now it's maybe time to focus on football. And I don't think that comment was needed in the public eye. It should have been kept behind closed doors and that probably would have helped him out. But, you know, I mean, we're really over analyzing this as well, but it's just something that, that, that just contributes to the dressing room. And it does. And now, you know, the athletic David Ornstein now reporting that it has upset some of the players in the camp, you know, it says, um, what does it say? Uh, United would argue that Solskjaer's words were misinterpreted, and I think that's where I'm on. I'm on that side after watching how he said it as well. Um, but he does go on to mention that um, you know Rashford and and the camp, uh, the camp, it's slightly upset him. So it's not what he needs. I mean, put it that like put it like that. It's not what he needs on top of the, the the pressures he's under already. He doesn't need this, and he could have avoided it. It's certainly an abysmal comment to make because like you said when when you hear someone say this you think of the absolute bums on twitter that are giving marcus rashford heaps of hate for the fantastic work that he's doing whether or not he should be i don't even think prioritizing football is a question the other problems need prioritizing and the football comes second obviously he is a professional footballer and he's using his platform in the best way possible Comments like that shouldn't be made. When you look back in the day and players had drinking problems, gambling problems, you never really saw managers come out and obviously you would say they need to focus on their football, but their problems, that's not changing the world. They're negatives, not positives. And I just think that maybe that is signs of a manager who is under pressure and and is, is sort of relying on his players to dig him out of this hole. But again... I do think we are analysing this way too much, even though it is a very interesting, interesting debate. But we need to wrap this up soon because if we keep going, the Atalanta game will probably be kicking off. So <laughs> let's take a little look at the academy and the women's team. I was there on Friday for the under-18s, which unfortunately got called off right at the last minute. There's a few people angry about that because nothing got really said about it, but it got cancelled so quick. The Wolves coach was stuck in the traffic on the M6. If you're involved in that traffic, then I'm sure you'll know exactly what it was like. Um, but the under-23s won 3-0 against Blackburn. Shaw, Tire and Alanga on the score sheet for them and an own goal was the second. And the women beat Durham in the Continental Tires Cup on penalties before they head into the international break. So just before we finish the podcast, Brad, I want to ask you, are you resting Maguire for tomorrow's Atalanta game or are you starting him? I am. If I'm a Lugnus, I'll show here. The bigger game is Liverpool on Sunday um, in terms of putting your job in a better place, in a better position. A win against Liverpool would be 
better with the fans and probably the overall mood at the club to really get your season going again is better than a win at Atlanta tomorrow night. So I, I would personally rest Maguire. Um, I would go for an Eric Bailly and Victor Lindelof combination and start Maguire on Sunday if all is well and if he's fit. Thank you very much. Well, I hope you've enjoyed listening to today's podcast. Obviously, it's been a long one with a lot to talk about. But we'll be back next week with hopefully more positive conversations to be had. And you know where to find the podcast, you know where to listen to it, and you know how to get involved. So we'll see you next week.